0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Enduring Churches podcast. This is Trent. I'm here with Alan again. And and Alan, you know, I've been hearing all these news stories about the the summer cold and all these illnesses going around. And so we're trying to be healthy, right? And so today we're going to talk about what makes or maybe there's some symptoms of a healthy church. So if you wouldn't mind, get us started Yeah, you know when you feel
1: healthy, right? You've got the energy you can get off, you can do stuff. Uh, When you don't feel well, you want to stay in bed, pull the covers over your head. All of a sudden, it can be 100 degrees outside and you want chicken noodle soup. So uh, we we don't want you to have a church that's unhealthy, but we don't oftentimes talk about that positive symptom. You know, what are the things that indicate a church is healthy? So we kind of want to do that today. So we're going to give... 10 statements today um, that would be evident in healthy churches.
0: Yeah, and I I like these. And I I like the fact that we're looking at the positive side because it is, it's, you know, sometimes we tend toward the negative when we're looking at things like this. But um, so the very first thing that you have, um, and Alan put together a note today for this, is that the pastor is spiritually healthy and growing. Um, And the church will tend to, Be like that, like their pastor, you know, follow that lead. So when you think of this, Alan, um, give me some examples or what are your thoughts about this?
1: Well, when we think about a pastor, where are they at? Have they plateaued spiritually? And it's easy for us to do. But when our church is healthy, we we tend to be actively engaged in our own spiritual development and growth. Spiritual growth is a lifetime process. Our leadership growth is a lifetime process. If we're not engaged in that, then we are automatically putting a cap on our church's health. And if churches were made to grow, churches were made to be healthy and vibrant, and if they're not healthy and vibrant, they're sick. And so it requires that the leader be spiritually healthy himself in order to lead appropriately.
0: Last night, Alan, I was reading uh more of john maxwell's um, leadership lid you know he's talking about that and and this makes me think of that because as a pastor you can't take people beyond where you are right and so if you're not growing and and spiritually healthy and moving forward then you can't take your your church and you can't expect them to go beyond where you're at as well does that make sense does that fit with that
1: yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we don't want to put a lid on things. When we put a lid on things, we are automatically choosing a less healthy approach um, to what is going on. So we certainly want to be healthy in the past. It begins really with the pastoral leadership. Is a pastor spiritually healthy and vibrant? But it also kind of goes into their type of leadership. And the question, I think, in healthy churches is what kind of leader is that pastor? Are they a collaborative leader? Um, that's really the best kind of leader. We can talk about other types. You can say the dictatorial leader, you know, the one who dictates what's going on. We can talk about a laissez-faire type of leader who lets everyone kind of do whatever they want. But when we think about that the style and the interpersonal style, the idea of collaboration is really kind of the highest, the highest thing that we're looking for in a healthy church. Are they sharing those type of things?
0: When I was first pastoring, Alan, I think I struggled to be that collaborative leader. It was easier for me just to do things right and not involve people in in the process. Uh, Maybe I was worried that they wouldn't agree with me or I thought maybe they just wouldn't join in. So, yeah, a collaborative leader involves people in the process um, and is willing to hear out other people's ideas. Sometimes when a pastor is insecure, uh, we struggle with letting people change our ideas or hearing their ideas.
1: Yes, we don't want to give second place um, to our idea, but sometimes we need to remember that <laughs> the best idea are ideas that have been filtered through other people. Because we all have blind spots. I have a blind spot in my leadership. You have a blind spot in your leadership. And when we can filter our ideas through other people, they see the blind spots and they can take our idea. And really, let's call it blind blind spot proof that idea so we don't miss something in it. And good good collaborative leaders don't want their ideas just taken. oh, well, Pastor, you said that. We're just going to do that. You really want some pushback you want some people to say but did you think about this Um, how can we take this idea and make that a great idea and that's really what we're talking about with this in healthy churches there's not just one voice that that carries all the influence there's many influential voices
0: well and so not only does that you know bring out the best idea but it also brings people involved in the process and they're more more likely to be involved as that moves forward and be a positive involvement not a negative you know some people are like knock it down when they don't feel like that they've had the chance to add to the conversation they're automatically going to be on the negative side of that
1: certainly that's why it's so important to build that sense of teamwork and working together as a cohesive unit and you guard. you're the one as the pastor if you're the pastor you guard this so take care of that collaborative effort the third thing Trent, is it really kind of takes us into another way and that's the church connects people to smaller groups because a large gathering is not sufficient um, to to do discipleship
0: yeah and in that what jesus called us to do in matthew 20 He tells us you know that we're supposed to go make disciples in acts one 8 to be able to make disciples and and not just make converts right and so a disciple means that someone is continually growing and they're they're growing to be more like jesus not just somebody who walked the an and then never grew at all in their faith uh, and so in order to do that we have to give them opportunities to be discipled and i think one of the most effective ways is in a smaller group you know in a large group setting in worship that is not probably the best disciple making tool it's it's a worship tool and, and it is a teaching tool discipling means that there's some interaction, right? That that person has the opportunity to ask some questions um, and and help them to grow closer to God.
1: Yeah, think of it like this. For discipleship to take place, there has to be kind of someone in that mentorship type of role, whether that's a small group leader, whether that's a one-on-one mentoring relationship. For discipleship to truly take place, there has to be that kind of relationship where there's a give and take and dialogue back and forth that does not happen in a worship service so if you don't have a way of breaking people into discipleship um, groups or discipleship relationships it's not going to happen but healthy churches have vibrant a vibrant process for disciple making
0: yeah and and so then that leads us really into the next section about um, a healthy church welcomes and equips new leaders uh, to be able to help lead those small groups, right? Uh, and so a a good, healthy church, and I've seen the opposite of this, Alan. I, I'm sorry, I have to move to the negative for a second, but, um, you know, I've seen so many negative examples of this where maybe Sunday school or small group leaders, they don't want anybody else in their group or they don't a pastor doesn't want to bring on new leaders, uh, and this is an area where that leadership lid can keep you from attracting those leaders that could be a real beneficial asset to your church. Uh, but but a good healthy church is going to find a way to bring in those leaders and and help them to continue to grow so that they can continue to grow disciples. Yeah, the number one thing that probably
1: causes churches. Is- to be unhealthy in their small group ministry is an unwillingness to train and equip new leaders, that you find a leader who does a great job and you just keep pulling them and allow, allowing their group to become as big as it can be until it's no longer effective. And when it's no longer effective, you find that it's not healthy. And then you look around and you've got groups that are shrinking in size. You've got a congregation that's shrinking in size. New groups are the life blood of the church and so training and equipping new leaders is part of that training and equipping people who are called to ministry we need to call out the called we've talked about that on several times but we need to welcome and equip new leaders and sometimes they're not as good at first but everyone has to start somewhere and so we need to make a pathway for them to improve to be a um, help and encouraged along the way we all need we all need our Priscilla and Aquila in our life who can teach us more accurately the way so they welcome and train new leaders that's a big part of this
0: yeah and you know I've seen that where Sunday school classes or small groups they they grew for a while because they they, you know they had a good leader and they're growing and there's that fellowship but then after a while it becomes a click and and people don't feel welcome to come into that it, every group gets its maximum size to where it's most effective and you know when, once you hit that you're not going to be effective in bringing in other people uh, but i remember man my grandparents were at a sunday school class that they taught and you know, the pastor said, well, you know, it'd be really helpful for us to split this group and, you know, so that we could get some new people. And boy, they fought that tooth and nail that, well, we don't want to lose our people, you know. And so it's it's a lack of vision a lot of times, I think, that keeps people from developing new small groups and splitting some classes and so that they can invite new people in. Yeah,
1: I've been corrected from people when I say that we need to kind of split these classes. Oh, you never say split. You use the word multiply. It doesn't mm. matter what word you use. People think you're splitting them. So just be honest <laughs> in my mind, call, yeah. call Call a spade a spade in this case. Uh, but I think that one of the effective ways that we do that is you take the new leader and let the new leader start a new class and mm-hmm. let, let them find people connect them to people who can be their people, so to speak. And I think that that's one of the more effective ways to do that. The other effective way is to to raise up the leader within who takes that group and the founding leader actually leaves and they start a new group. And that can certainly be effective as well. But you have to know which way works best in your context and what experience tends to work best. But we've got to find a way to do that. The next thing, Trent, takes us to the guest side, because when you're a healthy church and you have healthy small groups, guess what you have a healthy amount of? You have a healthy amount of guests. And so people start to bring the guests. It's not because of some campaign you've done. It's not because your church is on TV or because of your web presence. It's because people are bringing people with them and people are excited to bring others
0: with them. Yeah, when people are having a good time or excited about their fellowship that they have, they're going to automatically invite people into their, into their group. I was talking to some of our um, church folks, folks from one of our churches in our association this past week, and they were just bragging on how great their church was. And it's growing because people are excited to bring their friends with them. And so you know you see that, and that's a that's a sign of a healthy church as they are bringing in their friends, and a sign of an unhealthy church. The opposite of that is that well, I don't want to bring my friends because man, our music is terrible, or oh man, nobody's very welcoming, you know. <laughs> and so you you can see both sides of that coin.
1: That's true, and I've certainly been in those where there are no guests, there's no expectations of guests, and you look at those churches and realize very quickly that they're not a healthy environment for what's going on. So let's look at number six. Man, we've already been through five of them. Here we go with our sixth one. And that's that the church deals with conflict constructively. Wow. That's, a, that's an amazing thought when you actually think about it because we always associate conflict with something negative. But conflict can actually be something that's positive. For
0: oh, yeah. I mean, most growth comes from an uncomfortable situation, right? Uh, if your church needs to build, it's because there's an uncomfortable amount of people and you need more space. Or if a church needs to start a new class, it's because we have some kind of uncomfort. And so conflict can be that uncomfortable situation that causes us to to learn, and that's the deal. If people would listen to each other, they might be able to grasp what the real issues are. And then they'd be able to say, okay, hey, let's work together. And, and then that becomes that positive situation where conflict can become a growth situation. Yeah, we see that in the Bible.
1: And, you know, in First Corinthians, you have Paul telling the church, expel the immoral brother, that if you wanna be a healthy church, You've got to deal with conflict, and there, there's a way to deal with that. And in this case, this was an extreme case. You have to take extreme action. But if you do that, there's something constructive. We see in Second Corinthians, there's a phrase to basically bring this person back in. There's been repentance and restoration, and it's time. It's time for the healthy church to handle now this restorative process in a, in a healthy manner. And so conflict, conflict, what do we do with this person? And then conflict on that other side, what do we do with this person um, to restore them? Both times were a time of conflict and both times they were handled appropriately. And that's something that we could be excited about to see churches deal with that in a positive light and in a positive way. So sometimes it isn't just that you take conflict and everyone comes out singing, you know, kumbaya. Sometimes conflict... forces us to make a hard decision but people can respect the hard decision when the hard decision has got to be made and that there's a sense of unity and togetherness even in those extreme cases like that so getting to a place where we can handle the conflict in a way where that leadership comes out together the church comes out unified that's the
0: ultimate goal right and and if we're all aiming at a closer relationship with god that even in the middle of conflict, we can grow closer together if we're aiming at the at the right thing and re- aiming at a closer relationship to the Lord. So then that was number six. Number seven is that the church values intentionality over busyness. Oh my goodness, we can get so busy and we can have a calendar that is ridiculous, right? But it's a scattergun approach to ministry. Yeah, when I was growing up, Man, I could be at church every
1: single day of the week for something or another. There was like not a day off. There's always a calendar thing to keep us busy. But busyness does not equate healthfulness. In fact, we all know that if you go, 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 but never take time to rest, you'll be unhealthy and you want to be healthy. So at times we need rest and churches sometimes forget that. So a busy calendar is not necessarily a sign of health, it's a sign of busyness. And churches that are healthy always ask themselves, why
0: do we do something? Mm -hmm. I think that's a good question, you know, and sometimes as pastors, we forget that our people, I mean, usually they're working jobs that are more than 40 hours, plus they have their kids activities. And so they're trying to balance all this and then we throw something every night of the week or another meeting that a guy has to be at or a lady has to be at, and they just reach their point where they can't, and then they begin to have a bad attitude about church, and we don't want that. Yeah, the why the why matters. So why do we do this? And mm-hmm. you can
1: ask yourself that question with any number of the things um, that you're doing that you put into your calendar. I think it was uh, Tom Rayner talks about a zero-based calendar. And really the question is, why do we do this? Is this important is this essential to who we are? And does it have a benefit in the process of making disciples? And if it doesn't, then maybe it's just not the right thing for you and your church to continue in. So ask yourself why you do um, what you do. Now, number eight is one that I believe is one we could really just spend a lot of time on. But that's this prayer is more than a time filler um, in our services Mm -hmm. churches that are healthy have dedicated times of prayer
0: oh man alan i have seen this become more and more a reality um, just in the last few years Uh, i feel like more and more the churches are understanding their need for prayer Um, and not just cursory prayers at the beginning of a service or end of a service but actual um expanded times of prayer, seeking the Lord, trying to find his will and his why. uh, You know, when we're making plans for things, God, what do you want in this situation? What would glorify you the most? And and to me, that's exciting because I've seen God answer those times of prayer. And we've seen, um, you know, revival break out in in lots of cool places. And and God moves when we spend time seeking him.
1: Yeah, I've been in churches where they just fill fill their altar area with people praying during the service. I've got churches that are having Wednesday prayer gatherings that are bigger than their Sunday gathering. Mm. Uh, it's not it's not what you think of when you hear a typical prayer meeting. it is genuine heartfelt sincere prayer time. and I think there is a wave of prayer as we recognize that prayer really is powerful. prayers are connective talk to our Heavenly Father, and there is something powerful that happens when God's people come together for prayer. And I have a prayer for our churches and even for my life that we would all fall in love with talking with God, that we would fall in love with with prayer. And it's exciting to see that in healthy churches, certainly are a picture of a healthy prayer life. Let's do number nine here, Trent, um, because this is kind of fits the flavor of the note here. Uh, the church, a healthy church, is optimistic and joyful. Um, why is that so important?
0: Well, I, I think we have a reason to be optimistic. First of all, uh, because if we truly believe that our God is able to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine, then why not be optimistic? Um, there is hope. We are hope dealers. You know, we're not negativity dealers. We're hope dealers, and and so. Uh, people that truly are falling in love with Jesus, spending time and like we are just talking about in prayer and talking to him are more hopeful, more optimistic. And that leads to joy because, hey, if I'm optimistic about the future of my church, I'm optimistic about the future of my family, I yeah. am going to be joyful. And Satan can't pull me down.
1: And it doesn't mean we don't talk about uncomfortable issues, but it also means that we know that Christ is the overcomer and he says, take heart. I've overcome the world and we, we are overcomers if we're in Christ. So there should be an optimistic tone. Even when we're talking about challenging things, even when we're talking about hard things, um, even if we're talking about convicting things, if we're talking about sin, there's still a joyful and hopeful tone because there is forgiveness for sin and there is restoration. So, the tone of the church should be optimistic and joyful. If you go into a church and people know they're going to be beat, beat down on Sunday, I can tell you that it's just not, a, it's not going to be healthy. People do not need to be beat down every week and reminded about how badly they did during the week. But I've seen it.
0: Well, and, and when you're saying that, Alan, I, I'm just thinking, man, there's so many pastors that need to hear that right there because sometimes pastors, we we get in the habit of beating down our people instead of expressing to them the optimism and the joy that we as Christians should have. And so, man, if you're a pastor, clue into that. Um, We should be people who bring hope and joy and optimism because our God is good. He's able to do abundantly more than he can ask or imagine. Okay, we've made
1: nine. Let's, let's do a tenth one, Trent. What would that tell
0: us? So, which is, hey, we're going to make it. The church spends more time looking forward than looking backwards. I love that. I've seen too many churches that they spend all their time looking in the rearview mirror.
1: Yeah, that's not healthy, is it? You, Health requires that we look forward. We're thinking about what am I going to do to be healthy today? What am I going to be doing to be healthy tomorrow? Not, what was it that I did to be healthy twenty years ago? because guess what? I'm twenty years, I'm twenty years older. So the things that I did to be healthy twenty years ago are not going to be the same thing um, that I do to be healthy now. We need to remember that we are people who are always taking another step. We are moving forward. But unhealthy churches are still having worship wars. Unhealthy churches are still thinking about what what they used to be and the people that used to come, instead of thinking about the people that they're not reaching in the here and now. So the church, a healthy church, is always going to be looking forward more than it looks backwards. It may celebrate what they've done, but they celebrate with the mindset of, well, that was great then, but let's talk about why we're celebrating, because we want the next 20 years to be as great as the last 20 years so healthy churches are just always thinking about what's next
0: well and so a good example that just keeps coming up to me alan is that we are in the year 2023 not 2020 Um, and covid we experienced that in 2020 into 2021 but we are in 2023 so if we're still living in 2020, blaming everything on COVID, um, thinking that, all right, well, yeah. And I hear this all the time, Alan, the pastor's telling, well, you know, our folks just haven't come back yet from COVID. It's time to move on. It's a dead horse, you're dragging this dead horse, man. Um, It's not just COVID, there's other things happening. And so uh, I think that, you know, it's time to quit living in the past looking in the rearview mirror let's move forward that's
1: so true and again if they're not coming back from covid yet they're not coming back we just gotta realize that that reality you are now in reality this is who you are so how are you going to move forward from it and again we should have an optimistic tone about our ability to move forward because god has won the battle so whatever that is that's in your past, it could be when there was a great pastor, a great movement of God, and your attendance was great 20, 30 years ago. It could be well when this building used to be full. Um, it could be well when we used to sing hymns when we were a stronger church. <laughs> whatever it is, we'll let go of the past. We'll decide to move forward, and we should move forward with some excitement about what God wants to do. So anyway. Those are 10 statements we had today for healthy churches that represent healthy churches. There's probably some more, and you're welcome to reach out to us for another statement that would be true in a healthy church. But we want to see you healthy when we want to see you and your church thrive. And if you would do something for us, please share this episode with someone else, or someone that you know who's a pastor who'd love to know what's true about healthy churches. So help us out in that way. And again, we thank you for taking time to listen, and we're excited to catch you on our next episode.
0: Thank mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Trent, the year 2023 is so different from what we had in the past, and 2024 is going to be even a different year. And it's so important for us, right, to consider what each of those years is going to bring and the possibilities that exist for us. Again, it's an optimistic tone, not a pessimistic tone with that. Well, Trent, I know you've got some storms going on. I think your Internet signal has crashed. But we want to thank you so much for joining us. We managed to get through 10 before we lost you um, to that bad weather out there. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for you, Trent, and grateful for you listeners out there. Please do something. Share this episode uh, with someone else. Let them know about the Enduring Churches podcast. But here was 10 ways for you and your church uh, to know and to measure health. And we are glad you joined us today. We'll catch you on our next episode.